Hello, uh, welcome back to the HP Lovecraft Book Club. Um, and in this episode, I'll be looking at, I guess, this not the second, second half, the second part of supernatural horror and literature. I think in the first episode, I just looked at the first two chapters, and that's really where the meat of this essay is. It's you know, you can read the first chapter actually and, and walk away and be perfectly content. You, you get this big idea, but if you want the survey. Um, I think it's worth reading. I, I think it's worth reading as a, almost like a bibliography. I guess that's my thought on this. Um, I don't know if there's any profound insight we gain into Lovecraft's views of, of, of horror or, you know, there are tastes. We do see his like preferences from time to time. I talked about this last time, like he goes a lot on like when looking at ancient or primordial horror, he goes back to the witches a lot. And that's something that's really on his mind quite a lot but starting with chapter three into the end of the essay and the essay is incredibly long it's essentially a book right it's it's something like 30,000 words if you write 30,000 words and give it to a publisher it, it could be a book a short book or a long essay it's really really long I think the audiobook is almost four hours um, it is public domain and you can find LibriVox readings of it it's but chapter three to the end, the bulk of this essay is is really a look at different periods and areas and then the major works in that period or area. Uh, and it's mostly historical, beginning with the Gothic writings and then following through towards the end to, to modern writing. And I think you get the final chapter, which is great, called The Modern Masters, where he looks at really the 20th century um, but compares the American and British traditions, but a lot of it feels like, like a bit of a, like an annotated bibliography, almost like, you know, obviously more better, better written than what you might get from your students writing annotated bibliographies, but it, it feels like that. Now, I don't want to criticize him here. He did an incredible amount of reading and work to get this, um, you know, his contribution, I think is in that opening paragraph but putting it all together i think no one else had done this up to that point to actually say like what is the state of the field uh, in in horror writing and horror literature and just to do all this reading from the 17th century or 18th century to the present you know including many people he hadn't read before or never even thought about as a horror writer like uh, um, like chambers and most famously but, you know, the amount of work in here, we know from reading his letters just how much work he put into supernatural horror in, in, in literature. So I don't want to say too much bad about it. It's just such a wonderful resource. I just understand why people maybe read the first pair, the first uh, chapter or two and then like set the book aside and maybe use it as a reference or something. I think that's another good use of this. You can go to supernatural horror and literature when you're reading one of these other books and say, well, what did Lovecraft have to say about this? And you read that paragraph and then you go into the, the work. So more or less it's, it's useful, but sometimes it feels like a, a, a taxonomy of sorts, uh, a list of, of, all, of all the relevant works. And you know, sometimes you don't feel like a deep analysis sometimes, right? Like, he never really says like what the Gothic is. I, I don't think he, he says, he, you kind of get a feeling of what the Gothic is from the way he describes it. He's very descriptive about the works. 
Um, but he ever, not like a modern day academic, you know, talking about the Gothic novel, you know, they would say, what's a Gothic novel? What are its characteristics? It's historical development and contemporary examples. You might get that in a modern, you know, paper or book or chapter or essay on the Gothic novel. But Lovecraft doesn't really do that. He just sort of assumes this. So anyways, let's let's talk about what chapters are in here. Say a few words and then I'll, I'll let you go because I'm not going to do a, a line by line reading. I did read every every word of this thing, but I, you know, I think I said most of the important stuff in the last episode on this. So this is more maybe just an an addendum to to the first the first episode. Um, so anyways, chapter three is called the early Gothic novel. And he mentions a lot of early novels from the 18th century here. A lot of important writers. You can't resist mentioning Poe either. Um, most importantly, I think uh, Clara Reeve and Radcliffe. Actually, kind of a lot of women writers appear here. That's another thing he doesn't analyze. Obviously, someone today would want to analyze gender and you know why so many women got involved in writing Gothic novels. Um, as an American, I can't help but but notice that he has some praise for one of my favorite writers and someone I covered on my main podcast uh, quite a while ago, um, Charles Brockton Brown. Uh, especially his novel Whelan, but he talks about his other novels as well. Um, let me read what he says about uh, Brown, just to get a sense of how he approaches writers. Uh of Miss Radcliffe's countless imitators, the American novelist Charles Brockton Brown stands the closest in spirit and method. Like her, he injured his creations by natural explanations, but also like her, he had an uncanny atmospheric power which gives his horrors a frightful vitality as long as they remain unexplained. He differed from her in contemptuously discarding the eternal Gothic paraphernalia and properties and choosing modern American scenes for his mysteries. But his rep repudiation did not extend to the Gothic spirit and type of incident. Brown's novels involve some memorable, frightful scenes and excels even Miss Radcliffe's in describing the operations of the perturbed mind. Edgar Huntley starts with a sleepwalker digging a grave, but is later impaired by touches of Godwinian didacticism. Warman involves a member of a secret, sinister secret brotherhood. That and Arthur Mervyn both describe the plague of yellow fever, which the author had witnessed in Philadelphia, New York. But Brown's most famous book is Wieland, or the transformation, in which a Pennsylvania German engulfed in a wave of religious fanaticism hears voices and slays his wife and children as a sacrifice. His sister Clara, who tells the story, narrowly escapes. Uh, the scene laid in the woodland estate of Midigan on the Skulkid Kill remote reaches is drawn with extreme vividness, and the terrors of Clara beset by spectral tones, gathering fears, and the sound of strange footsteps in the lonely house are all shaped with truly artistic force. In the end, a lame ventriloquial explanation is offered, but the atmosphere is genuine while it lasts. Now, I was on a podcast, the SFF Audio Podcast, and we did Whelan, and there the consensus was similar to this, that the ventriloquist ending was lame. I like that, you know, Lovecraft's such a sophisticated writer, but he just throws out the word lame here at the end. I just read that all to give you a sense of how he approaches works, it's kind of, but it's like this kind of again and again um, with these chapters. Chapter four is called The Apex of, of Gothic Romance, and he focuses here on The Monk um, by Matthew Gregory Lewis, which I haven't read. Actually, that's, that's another reason to read this, is just to know what you need to read. 
Um, because if Lovecraft read it and you didn't, you know, you really should. It's a lot easier to get this stuff. Lovecraft, you don't have to buy these books. And I don't know, most of the stuff's public, you know, public domain, easy to get. Um, five, the chapter five, the aftermath of Gothic fiction. Oh, this this deals with Shelley. We got Frankenstein in this part, and Caleb Williams. And he mentions Caleb Williams when he talked about Edgar Huntley. No, Arthur Mervyn. Just the one the passage I read. He says Godwinian. Well, Caleb Williams was Godwin. He, he he doesn't get to Godwin until a later chapter. So maybe someone who's not really familiar with William Godwin may have been. Well, what the hell's Godwinian? But it's true. Charles Brockton Brown certainly was influenced to some degree by by Godwin or the other way around. No, no, Godwin must have been first. Must have wrote uh, Caleb Williams first. But that's a really great story about you know a servant who's being like tormented by his master and and all these weird things happen that's never really explained. It's just like a baffling set of circumstances. So we get three three chapters surveying the Gothic. Um, Chapter six is called The Spectral Literature on the Continent. It's a quite short one. There's some good stuff in here. Um, mostly, I think, uh, Hoffman, E.T.W. Hoffman, uh, another person you should read if, if you haven't, if you're, inter into, if you're interested in weird fiction. Um, I got exposed to him through the, through the, the Tales of Hoffman opera, uh, but then I read some of his works later. Super interesting. Um, witchcraft shows up here again, and it's this is one of those things where you, I, I really think it's just Lovecraft's obsessed with witches and cults and underground vernacular traditions. It shows up in a story so often, I, I think it must be on his mind. And he comes up here when he talks about the Amber Witch, um, a story by Wilhelm Meinhold. Maybe I should look at this, but... Um, Quote, this tale, which is laid at the time of the Thirty Years' War, purports to be a clergyman's manuscript found in an old church in Kosoro and centers around the writer's daughter, Maria Schreinwilder, who is wrongly accused of witchcraft. She has found deposits of amber, which she keeps secret for various reasons, and the unexplained wealth obtained from this lends color to the accusation. So, that might be fun. Witchcraft trial kind of thing, but not real witches. Uh, what else do we got? Guy de Mossapont. Oh, and there's some stuff about Jewish tales, too. Um, the Gollum, Dubuque, these kinds of things. I, You know, one of these days I'm going to cover on my main podcast, Singer, you know, and then I'll think more about Jewish folklore and Jewish horror traditions. You know, Singer writes a lot of different types of stories, but I think some of his most interesting are the ones touching on the supernatural. That's all after Lovecraft, of course. Um then we have this lo relatively long, well, not super long, but longer than some, um, chapter just on Poe, right? Well, lot, all these other chapters look at many people, but he only reserves a chapter exclusively for one person for Poe, obviously, right? And he returns to a lot of his themes here, and I think that's why it's important to maybe, if you read the first chapter, maybe also read the chapter on Poe, just because you gotta. It's, it's Lovecraft, love Poe, and Poe's great, and... And it's so influential to understanding Lovecraft. But he can't help but go back to themes that are so important to him because I think he gets a lot of this from Poe or he's inspired by Poe in this way. So he talks, for instance, about he goes back to the to 
works that have this didactic end and how Poe doesn't want anything to do with that. Poe rejects the didacticism. Um, or how uh, like the science of psychiatry has, has kind of emerged to address itself to some of our, 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 our internal ills. But before in the past, you had the supernatural literature did that. Right. And that's a theme, I think, early on in the chapter, too, like how psychology has sort of filled in what supernatural horror once did. And, and for the psychologically sensitive, it's not enough to go to therapy. Right. We still need that jolt of 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 the weird, of the perverse, of the horrific. Um, yeah. So he says here, like the impersonal and artistic intent, moreover, was aided by a scientific attitude not found before whereby Poe studied the human mind rather than the usages of Gothic fiction and worked with the analytical knowledge of Terror's true sources, which doubled the forces of his narrative. Yeah, that's even more complex now that I think of it, now that I reread read it again, right? That, you know, it's that Poe himself, like Lovecraft, is into science and, and looks for a scientific foundation, but it's a very different era, epoch of science. Great, I mean, he, maybe Poe couldn't have gone to the cosmic horror like Lovecraft did, but... Poe didn't have like awareness of just how vast and deep and unknown and mysterious the universe is. Lovecraft did. I mean, he had new, the new science, the new physics to grapple with. So um, a lot here kind of repeats some of his core themes. So this is a good one to look at. Um, and just to get his take on Poe, I think is, is wonderful. He really understands Poe. If he doesn't understand any of these others, he understands Poe, certainly. You can't doubt that. Uh, then we have chapter 8, uh, called The Weird Tradition in America, which really covers the 19th century. So we get a little bit more on Poe. We get, uh, he, this is kind of an extension of Poe in some the Poe chapter, but he talks about Hawthorne. He talks about O'Brien, Fritz James O'Brien. Uh, he's most important in weird fiction for one story. He uh, called um what is it uh, so like the unknown monster the the like the, the invisible unknown creature uh which of course is such a trope but it start it seems to have the first great story in that f genre which actually is a science fiction thing too is in what was it uh o'brien died in the civil war so he never really wrote as much as he probably could have and we, we, we missed out on a lot of, of of good work i think because of his uh death in the war uh, we got Bierce here. Bierce, of course, another person heavily influential for, for Lovecraft. You know, uh, he was, I think, going to, was it, what was it? It was in the letters, right? He was thinking about ghost writing or, I think it was ghost writing or revising. I think it was revising a, a Bierce biography and he turned down the job because it was too big and too difficult. But, you know, Bierce was another person he really liked. That's, I should put that on the priority when I get back to Taiwan to do on the main podcast too. I love beers. Here we talk. He also talks about chambers. Um, in this one, so and a few other writers. So, again, it's a it's a list of important works. But there it is. Um, then we get the weird tradition in the British Isles, chapter nine, which uh, gives us uh, E.F. Benson, of course, uh, Bram Stoker, Oscar Wilde. Who else is mentioned here? William Hope Hodgson. So these, these are all uh, well-known writers. Browning. 
A mention of child role, Roland to the Dark Tower came, which of course was influential to Stephen King uh, in his Dark Tower novels. So, but they're British writers, so I, I won't blame me for skimming that, that, that chapter. Uh, then we get to the longest chapter in the whole book. Nine, uh, when I printed it out, it's nine pages. Nine pages of A4 close type. Um, called The Modern Masters. And so this really looks at the 20th century, the contemporaries or the, the slightly older contemporaries of Lovecraft. A lot of this opens, opens up with, with Macon, um, Dunsany, and, and Raxwell. Rack, Raxall. So, of course, Macon and Dunsany, huge impact on, on Lovecraft. So yeah, this, this chapter is useful, I think, for that reason, um, just to, to just the same way that the chapter on Poe is so important. So anyways, um, I mean, I guess the line by line analysis could be fun, but I don't think any of us really want to jump into this. So I, I'm thinking of this episode really more as a, as a after the thought, uh, like add on, like an add on to the previous episode. I originally had intended to maybe go more deeper line by line, but you know, I, I'm not sure anyone wants that. So, but I do think it's useful to just go through what's here and what's valuable. It's all pretty good. It's, it's well written, but you know, I think it's tough to take in one gulp, I guess. It's maybe serviceable as a reference book. Um, it's also good a way to get into Lovecraft's mind about his influences and to see him kind of as a fanboy for certain writers is fun. He's very generous, you know, for all of Lovecraft's reputation as a nasty guy, as, as, as racist. I mean, he doesn't talk about black writers here, but uh, there's not that many black horror writers that Lovecraft was aware of. You know, I guess like W.B. Du Bois wrote like one story or something. Um, that's kind of in the fantasy tradition. There, there, there's some horror Renaissance writers that are doing interesting stuff, but Lovecraft's a bit aloof from that tradition. You know, but he talks about women. He's certainly not a sexist. I, I think I heard that on the Twitter not long ago, like someone accusing him of being a sexist. I don't see it. I mean, he doesn't write women, but he's not a sexist. Um, nativist, yeah, sure. And, and certainly he's racist, but not a, not a sexist so much. But he's, he's a very generous when he talks about other people's works, I think. And it's the same in his letters. He's always promoting other people's works, here, he doesn't really say anything bad about people, just subtle jabs. You know, this guy's a bit derivative of this guy, or this, this ending was lame, like with the Charles Brockton Brown criticism. But he's very, very generous. Um, but I think this could be a great reference. If you're getting into 19th, the Gothic or the 19th century weird tale, early 20th century weird tale, get a copy of this. And just before you read a book, see what Lovecraft had to say about it. You know, let Lovecraft spoil it a bit for you. There's nothing wrong with that. And then go into it. And I think you'll get a lot out of this essay. All right. So coming up, I think, I'm thinking three episodes on poetry. Because we got to deal with fungi from Yugoth. And that's like a whole episode, probably. And there's, I'm still haven't pieced together all the poems I want to look at. But I want us to do at least three episodes on Lovecraft's poetry from the the early twentieth, the early nineteen twenties, and then then I think it's time to get back into stories, don't you? Um, I think we all want to. Uh, we're all kind of waiting for it. Horror at Red Hook, 
Call of Cthulhu. Um, what else? Dream Quest of the Unknown Kadath, Case of Charles Dexter Ward. They may all be in the next section too. So a lot of great stories, a lot of in-depth episodes into those works are coming up just around the corner. So stay, stay with me. Uh, but first, let's, uh, let me try another shot at poems. I'm not good at them, I, 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 but I did look at his earlier poems as best I could. And um, I'm going to keep doing it. So that's going to be it for now. Uh, thanks for listening to this podcast. Thanks for supporting it. Uh, send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com if you have any thoughts or comments. I'll see you later. Thanks.